con, I live in LA. I don't have con, I live in LA. So hey everybody, this is a very special Voices from the Frontline show. In honor of our dear friend Kikanza Ramsey, a great freedom fighter who's right now in a fight for her own life in a battle with cancer. She's in Cancun, Mexico, undergoing uh, experimental treatment. She's alive and well and fighting. And this whole show and tomorrow's show, next week's show, is going to be a lot about your legacy, Kikansa. We're not talking about you. We're talking to you. We love you. And you're going to eventually hear this on a podcast. We know you want privacy. Your struggle is more than enough for all your energy. But you also know we're out here. And you've conveyed to us that it means a lot that the Strategy Center, which is your political home, and Voices from the Frontlines are going to lead the struggle to raise money for your medical treatment, to honor your legacy, and protect and project your future legacy. So it's not an individual case. It's a freedom fighter who has continued to fight and needs our support. So we're going to go right away to tell you that we are not asking you, but we're making available to you to go on freefunder.com, and you're going to see something that says, Help Kikanza Fight Cancer. And when you go there, there'll be a link. And if you so choose, as Leanne and I have certainly done, please give generously for Kikanza's work. Okay. So let me tell you about Kikanza Ramsey for some of you. It says, Help Kikanza Beat Cancer is the link. Freefunder.com. So let me start by the beautiful tribute that uh, her husband, Jeff Ramsey Ray, who worked at the Strategy Center for 20 years and uh, met Kikanza at the Strategy Center and they were not the first or the last couple that got created out of our family, but they've been together for over 30 years. So I'm going to read you what Jeff wrote. Dear family and friends, we are appealing you to help our dear Kikanza who we were shocked to learn last late year, has been diagnosed with an aggressive stage four cancer. The tumor was determined to be inoperable due to the spread of the cancer to her lungs and to other organs. Consequently, she suffers a great deal of daily pain due to the large tumor they could not remove. She's literally fighting for her life. She's very weak, has lost 50 pounds. The positive is that Kikanza is currently undergoing a cutting-edge immunotherapy cancer treatment led by an amazing team of U.S. and Mexican biologists, oncologists, and nurses in Cancun, Mexico, at the Immunocene Cancer Center. However, the three-month treatment is very expensive and not covered by insurance. After extensive research vetting and many expert second opinions, we believe this is the most promising treatment regime for Kankansas cancer. The program was very hard to get into. Only 10% are admitted, and it costs $85,000 plus living and transportation costs and additional medical procedures for more than $100,000 and counting. 
We are reaching out to friends, family, and community members to help us raise those funds by May 19th in two weeks. So there's an urgency, if you want to support, to go on freefunder.com and help Kikanza beat cancer. We will not know for a few more months whether the treatment will turn the corner for her. We are very hopeful. All signs indicate that her immune system has been successfully activated to fight the cancer. Among her family, friends, and community members to help us raise those funds by May 19th in two weeks. Among her family and friends, Kikanza is known as one of the most disciplined people any of us know regarding health, diet, and finding joy and passion in life. But we've learned, as so many have, that cancer is a very tricky adversary. And this is written by her great love and husband, Jeff Ramsey Ray. Within the Pasadena and Altadena communities, Kikanza is known as a much-loved and remarkable teacher of hundreds of students, an inspiring teacher of, of teachers and countless parents over the 15 years she's tirelessly worked as founder, director, and lead teacher of Village Play Garden. In the wider Los Angeles community, Kikanza is also well-known as one of the lead community organizers at the Labor Community Strategy Center and bus rides union for more than 10 years. She led many successful campaigns for civil rights, environmental justice, and holding corporations, the police, and politicians accountable to the people. She taught and inspired many young organizers, especially women of color, who in their turn led powerful movements, including Black Lives Matter. We ask you to show your love, respect, and gratitude to Kikanza as she faces her hour of greatest need. Please share a note with your donation and tell us how Kikanza has touched your life. Kikanza is a private person, so we ask that you do not reach out to her directly while she's still in the middle of her healing journey. Any private notes and well wishes can be sent to her husband, Jeff, at jeff at villageplaygarden.org. Or your prayers, healing energy, and love for Akikanza can, of course, be sent directly and immediately to her through your personal, spiritual, and light channels. Let us all visualize a healthy and whole Kikanza returning to us for many more decades to come. Thank you all. Our love and gratitude goes out to you. And that says, donate now. So Kikanza, you know, when I put a team together, and that is one of the things I'm proud of, the seven samurai and stuff like that, is building an all-star team. And everybody's different. You know, like Chris Mathis was solid as a rock. Right, he was the structure, and he reminds me of Channing in a lot of ways. The person who gets everything done in time, the core administration of the program, and you were in many ways our biggest public organizer. So there's a really nice clip of you in the film *Bus Riders Union*. I want to talk about a lot with the great Haskell Wexler, where you lay out very succinctly the philosophy of the bus riders here. So how you doing? This is Kikanza from the BRU. I'm good. The bus riders union in some ways is a political 
social experiment, if you will, to see if we can build a multiracial, um, bilingual, gender balanced mass movement of working class people that is willing to fight um, a set for a set of demands that challenges corporate capital. And so this fight and the building of this organization for the past four years has been around can we get people outraged enough at the crappy public transportation system that they have but engaged enough to deepen their analysis of why it's crappy and whose fault it is and who's benefiting and whose pockets are being lined. Now, the Strategy Center defines itself as a black liberation, Latino liberation, anti-imperialist, pan-Africanist organization. Those words are central because we begin with our political identity. But we're also a deeply emotional and spiritual organization. I know of no other organization where people say, this is my political home. And the word family is really used as if we mean it. So let's be clear, my dear friend Kikanza, a.k.a. Key, we love you, you are part of our family, you always will be. This is your home, and your home and your family are going to fight for you and elevate your legacy while you live and help raise money to help you live for a very long time. So I'm going to start telling you a story of history. You know me, I tell long historical stories because Kikanza is a lead actor in the play. But I got to set the stage because she comes on very early, about the first year. But you got to know what she's walking into because that's part of who she is. So I started the Labor Community Strategies in 1989. I had been in the new communist movement and then had left it, but continued at the GM Van Nuys campaign where we built this amazing labor community coalition to keep GM Van Nuys open. Out of that, Budi Acuna, Father Luis Olivares, and Reverend Frank Higgins at the Baptist Ministers Conference said, we should form the labor community something to do everything. And you should be director, Eric. So it took three years to get it in business. And we finally opened in January of 1989 in, of all ironic names, the Capitol Bank Building, which Marx would have thought is very ironic. It had no windows. It was down in the basement. As my grandmother said, we didn't have a pot to piss in. But we were there, and I was the only staff person. So being an organizer, I realized we did not have money to hire staff, so I would sweep the floor, answer the phones, but I went out to organize volunteer organizers. So who was I going to go find? I got it. I'm going to go see Patrick and Kate. Kate and Kate and Patrick Ramsey had been my friends since 1984 in the Jesse Jackson campaign. And we worked in 88 for Jesse Jackson, too. I went to their house in Reseda for a house party. I was a representative of the Jackson campaign. And they were clearly stars, just great life forces. So I called them up and said, hey, listen, I'm starting this thing called the Strategy Center, and I need you to come. 
I need you to help me build it from the ground up. And they both said, we'll be right over. And Kate said, look, you know, we, we make some money. You know, we run a business. Uh, do you want my money or do you want my time? Well, being a smart organizer, of course, I said, I want your time. I want your investment. And I meant that. So she and Patrick, along with Tom Camarawa and Martin Hernandez and a few other people, were the core of the volunteer group. So then they said, well, we have this daughter named Kikanza. Now, Kate is white, Patrick is black. Uh, Kate was her second mother. You know, her original mother was still alive and is black. And you should meet her. So we met her, and the first thing is she's such a, you, Kikans, is such a vibrant soul. And we were very interested because of your life force. So then we had a meeting with you, with Chris Mathis and myself. It's like an intake interview. And you said, well, the first thing I want to do, I think, is after this internship, is go down to Washington, D.C. and work with the AFL-CIO. And me and Chris went, oh, God, no. Uh, how do we explain it? We have been in the, Chris was a black auto worker from General Motors. He was part of the campaign to keep Van Nuys open. We had fought our own international union. We knew there were good people in the union movement, but we saw the AFL-CIO as the AFL-CIA working in the third world to defeat communists and revolutionaries. So how do you explain this to a new person? You know, they have their illusions, they have their hopes. But the minute we explained it to Kikanza, she went, I get it. Okay, no, I don't want to work for the FO. And that's, Kikanza, how your mind works. You have a brilliant ability to grasp political differences and political line. And you immediately became one of our top organizers. Now, you were our first organizer in training. Our initial group was Chris Mathis, as I said, a black auto worker from GM, uh, Lisa Durand, who had been an affirmative action officer at Occidental College, and Yuki Kanza. But because you spoke such fluent Spanish, which we hadn't fully grasped, you were one of our greatest organizers when we went down to Wilmington. So here's my first of many Kikanza stories. So because our office was in Van Nuys, and you guys, we also set up a Wilmington office, and I was doing most of the administrative work in Van Nuys, plus trying to keep the, keep the Van Nuys plant open still. You'd call me almost every night. This is what I did today. This is what I thought I did. And you called me one day and said, Eric, this is great. I got 25 people coming to my block meeting tomorrow night. I said, that's very impressive, very impressive. So the next night you call me back, they lied. They lied, only three people showed up. When you were in the 60s, you had 50 people come to your block meetings. And I said, Kikanza, first of all, you know in organizing, the first way that people want to say no is by saying yes, that gets you off their back. Secondly, you did nothing wrong. I listened to your plan. You were great. But let me uh, disabuse you of some fantasies. My first block meeting in Newark, New Jersey in 1966, I had one person come. 
And she got all dressed up, and I said, are you excited about the meeting? She said, no, but I wanted to come because I was embarrassed that you might not have anybody. So I thought, damn, I'm in the black community, and this woman's going to the meeting to make me feel better, which I did take as an honor. So I tried to say to Yuki Kanza that three people in a meeting is good, and you did nothing but great, and your sincerity, and yeah, at times you're childlike, but I don't get it, you know, was very charming. But you also built a base in Wilmington along with Chris Mathis. And with Lisa, we set up our own office and we were organizing people against Texaco. And then the bus riders union happened. And the MTA uh, eliminated the monthly bus pass and they had a whole big public hearing of 750 people at the County Board of Supervisors, and we all went. And we were not even a bus ride union. I think we said we were the watchdog, which is the same group we had down in Wilmington. And I still remember Chris standing up at the top of the one of these statues in the County Board of Supervisors, speaking to people. Of the 750 people, we had a clear pl plan. Do not cut the fare. Do not cut the monthly pass, or cut the fare, rather. Do not cut the monthly pass. This is crazy. This is painful. But we also saw that people were fighting among themselves. The older people were saying, I don't like the kids on the bus who make their noise. And everybody was sort of fighting for themselves. But we got 50 people to join the watchdog and to come to a meeting at the Strategy Center, which was back then in Koreatown on the Welton building. And we had to make a very important decision. I said to Kikans and Chris, I think we have to phase out the work in Wilmington and build this bus riders union because it's just taken off. And it's multiracial, whereas Wilmington is overwhelmingly Latino. It's a lot of black people, Korean people, working class people. And I think the bus riders union is the way to go. And Kikanza, you argued very strongly because you were so loyal to people in Wilmington. And I said, listen, we're not ending the relationship, but we are closing down the office, and we'll see how much energy they got. And it turns out that all the energy was going to the buses. So then I had a team, mainly you, Kikanza, and mainly Chris. When I was about 15 years old, I remember my brother saying to my mom once, I don't want to take the bus because dirty people ride the bus. The people who ride the bus are, by and large, people of color, um, majority women. They're oftentimes elderly. They're disabled. They are working class people. And they, they have big ideas just like anybody else. They are trying to negotiate their lives. So Kikanza, I want to, you know, tell you a lot of great things about yourself, but you, you know, as a trainer of organizers, I always tell people great things about themselves that are true in the present. I'm also, you know, a hard teacher, and I try to constructively criticize work because nobody wants to just be told they're great. But you were pretty special and are pretty special. So I want to tell you a couple of things about yourself that I see 
that stay with me to this day. Um, first thing is when we look at what is a great organizer, it's got to have, I was thinking of four qualities. The first is political clarity. Are you for black liberation, Latino liberation? Are you against U.S. imperialism? And are you even sympathetic to the communist experiments out in the world because it's part of the third world? Are you for women's liberation inside the structure of national liberation? Mention a few others, but oh yeah, are you independent and to the left of the Democratic Party? And also, are you not sectarian where you're just running on the street corner saying everybody sucks but us? Do you know how to work with people? Are you a good United Front person? All those require the first element of a good organizer, which is somebody with political clarity of their own line and political clarity on how to work with others. The second is work ethic. This is hard work, and uh, nobody wants to be talking to somebody who's always wanting to go home. I mean, we, the slogan at the Strategy Center is, when do we go home when the work is done? And sometimes that's early and sometimes that's midnight, but we all go home when the work is done. And you were great at that. The third is being good to work with. You know, do you follow instructions? Well, are you good to work with collectively? And the last is a sort of sense of irony and sense of humor and courage. And Kikanza, you know, you always had a lot of back pain. You know, and uh, you worked in the middle of a lot of pain. You had other things going on. And every time I talk to you, I say, how you doing? You go, I'm good, I'm good. And now I, when I ask Leanne, how you doing? She goes, I'm good. I said, you know, that's Kikanza's line, right? So it's contagious. The concept is you're good enough. You know, there's work to be done and have a good attitude. So it's one thing, Kikanza, you worked in pain but you weren't a pain. You were really a good person to work with. So a second story is you, your ability to grasp political line. I'm trying to teach this at the Strategy Center today. So what is political line? Political line means that, in fact, it's a strategy and tactics. You know, if you work for Barack Obama, your political line is to reform the Democratic Party and have a black president. That's your strategy. That's, and then the tactic would be to elect Barack Obama. Your political line might be that you don't think black people are a nation, but you're really going to fight for integration, and you're a really good fighter for that, but you don't like black nationalism because you think it's too divisive. Then the third line, which is ours, is we do believe that black people are a nation trapped inside the U.S. white settler state. So black nationalism, as Malcolm X said, if you are a nation, then the only theory that can work is to become a black nationalist. And there's a lot of different people. The Strategy Center is a very unique, multiracial black nationalist organization. So you were very good at understanding line distinctions. So one of our new, besides you, one of our next great, organizers and training and become organizer for 10 years was Rita Burgos. Rita came from a Filipina family. Uh, she was very familiar with the liberation movements in the Philippines. And she, like you, had a great sense of humor, 
great work ethic, and the two of you were actually quite a team. So we were going to this thing called the National Organizers Alliance, which was a great conference, a great idea of bringing all the organizers together to see, you know, if we could talk about politics and strategy, if we could learn to work together. It was a great idea. So I sent the two of you up, you could say, to do the advance work, because for some reason I couldn't come the first day. So I came the second day, and I got in that night, and the two of you rushed up to me, and you were so happy to see me, and I was so happy to see you, and you were, like, ecstatic. Like, you should have seen what happened. So this guy, he started talking about black people, but then he dropped it, meaning you don't really believe in it. This one is too sectarian. You know, he says a good point, but then he wants to attack everybody. We met this white guy in Chicago who's very interesting because he's working with Acorn, but he really likes the strategy center because we focus more on race. This one was really great. She was doing feminist work. And I was looking at the two of you and saying, you mapped the whole thing for me. I understood every force in the room, and you were able to describe it to me. And you were 23 at the time. And I was a little bit in awe, in the very best sense, that how smart you were and how aware you were of political difference. So the next day, we had a strategy center workshop and they had all the workshops going at the same times but in our workshop there were 150 people <laughs> and that was all because of the advanced work that you and Rita had done that day plus the reputation of the strategy center where people wanted to come to talk about strategy because community organizing is too often organizing poor people for power and social justice with no assessment of the forces, no assessment of the objectives, no assessment of hardly anything except, you know, organize people against power and sometime you'll get something, which most of the time you don't. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'm saying is that you are a brilliant political analyst, but also a very good organizer because people, in the end, organize with people. If they don't like you, if they don't like me, if they don't like Rita, we can say whatever we want and people don't want to work with us. But you and Rita were so attractive, politically and energetic. And I was really proud, you know, it was. I'm the director coming in and my team. Don't worry, we got this already. That was really beautiful. Second story is uh, we were at, the, at some very big meeting, like, like a civil rights environmental justice meeting in D.C. And one of the speakers had been a very well-respected militant who everybody was a little worried was sort of moving a little bit to the center. Nothing terrible, but that was the word. Now, you know in the black community that rhetoric and presentation carries a lot. And this brother was a great speaker and captivating and powerful. So he got up and said, you know, we demand a seat at the table, and we're going to get our seat at the table. And Kikanzi whispered, we don't want a seat at the table. We got our own table. We want them to come to our table. So he says, and I'll tell you another thing. We demand empowerment. And she says, no, we want black power. What's this empowerment stuff? So because Kikanzi was also a great interpreter, it was almost like she was interpreting the whole event in my ear to the point where I could hardly hear what the brother was saying, but she, you were so 
astute, you, you understood that what people say is not necessarily what they're saying. And they're formulations that people use to signal the audience. So if we say we demand a seat at the table, that's a political line. And you said, we don't want a seat at their table. We want to build our own table and have them come to sit on our table. So it was thrilling. You know, I mean, I train organizers. But you're my friends. You're my comrades. You know, I don't sit around training you. I work with you. And the process of working with you, yeah, I train you and you train me. The third story is I went to Chicago to give a speech at some you know, pretty interesting, broad environmental group, mainly white, but great people in Chicago, and they invited us. And you came with me, thank God. And in that day, you played your role as my handler. And I, that was the first time I had one, and I realized, oh my God, what if I had gone alone? Because you set up the table. You had all the books ready. You said, don't worry. You just go over and do your thing and meet with people and... I got this, and it reminds me of Channing, who says, don't worry, I got everything taken care of. So you're also a very good tactician and logistical person, and of course, we were a great team. And Kikanza Ramsey, you were all of that, and you are all of that, and more. Joe, how you doing? This is Kikanza from the BRU. I'm good. The Bus Riders Union in some ways is a political, social experiment, if you will, to see if we can build a multiracial, um, bilingual, gender-balanced mass movement of working class people that is willing to fight um, a set for a set of demands that challenges corporate capital. And so this fight and the building of this organization for the past four years has been around, can we get people outraged enough at the crappy public transportation system that they have, but engaged enough to deepen their analysis of why it's crappy and whose fault it is and who's benefiting and whose pockets are being lined. The issue is, is there still poverty? Is there still racism? Are there still poor people? Who wants to organize? Oh, this is my wall of photos. Oh, yeah. These are my parents on the day that we were very proud because I graduated from college. Uh-huh. And this is my new family, my fiancé's family and his siblings. And this is my father. My father and stepmother are very politically involved and uh, my mother keeps track of my work as a proud mother, not necessarily as someone who's politically active. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Kikanza Ramsey, and I'm an organizer with the Bus Riders Union. We know that students in low-income communities in particular have tremendous amount of burdens on their back. Um, where they're struggling to get through school. I know I was one of them. I grew up in Los Angeles. And, and as I'm on the bus daily organizing members into the bus riders union, I see students getting left standing there, bus after bus. I was that kid who um, 
if I missed the school bus, it took me two and a half hours to get to school from home. I was that kid who couldn't go to extracurricular activities often because the bus back home would get you home really late and my mother didn't have a car, couldn't come pick me up. About 50 people from the Bus Riders Union gathered at the corner of Wilshire and Western in Hollywood. They closed down more than two city blocks for more than an hour. Police arrested six people on various charges. The MTA wants to cut service at night by a total of 40,000 hours a year. Next Thursday, the MTA will again take up this heated issue. We shut the street down. That was awesome. Billions for buses. Billions for buses. So, hey, Patrice Colors, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, well, you know, circumstances feel heavy, but I'm doing okay. Well, you know, we're doing this special in honor of Kikanza Ramsey, who is fighting for her life, and we have every reason to believe our intervention can help in that fight. You know, Kikanza is an amazing fighter. You yes. Know, we all know she's in Cancun, Mexico right now. She won't be listening to this for a while, but she knows we're on the case, and she wants us yes. to do that. So, you know, Kikanza, this show is for you, and you remember that new, that new OIT, she came in and we said, this Patrice Collar's got a lot of potential, huh? And, uh, <laughs> you know, she turned out pretty good, huh, Key? So, uh, Patrice, a little older, and wiser <laughs> and talking directly to you about your life and your impact on hers. Oh, wow. Um, oof, thank you. Sure. Uh, wow. uh, Kikanza, you, it was your image. It was your charm, your wit, um, watching you and witnessing you in the Bus Riders Union documentary that showed me that I could be an organizer. It was, uh, and I remember the exact scene. Uh, you were on the bus and you were speaking to an elderly Korean woman and she didn't understand you. And so uh, you yelled to the back of the bus and said, we have a Korean woman, we have a Korean speaker. Um, and then you went, then Korean speaker, you know, uh, I believe it's Carol, correct? Carol Sung, yeah. Yep, Carol Sung came, and and it was watching these women of color on the bus, really, you all, like, holding a presence 
on on those buses and you were such a light and such um you know so clear so clear there's another scene that i want to mention because i'm i was so lucky to just watch the documentary again uh, uh alongside so many of our comrades and and new folks i hadn't met before um but it was the scene where you all um did a direct action at metro right. and you started singing we shall overcome and i just remember um you being moved to tears while you're singing and i was like oh that's that's what that's how i feel about this work like move to tears i think it took years um for me to go up on stage without crying uh feeling so moved uh by the by the plight of black liberation and by the plight of the work and so you are you are you've been a north star you've been a north star and um i'm so grateful for you well you know last night i watched the film <laughs> all the way it's a film about was uh lbj who's a dog and it showed the uh the volunteers they went down to mississippi and were murdered and i, I was their age you know i was the, the Jewish kid like them and other people were the black kid like James Cheney and we sang we show overcome as if our lives depended on it and, and I think when we saw that when we sang it we felt I felt we were channeling the black civil rights and black and white together and multiracialism and Kikanza you were such a phenomenal mass leader you know and you had the brilliance and you had the feeling so what's your last thought, Patrice Collars? <laughs> um, you know, I was lucky to come into the center as Kikanza was still there. I think she probably was on the board at that point. Um, and uh, I remember those early days, my early days of the center, um, coming in after being on the bus for two and a half hours and yep. listening to Kikanza talk about, um, listening to you Kikanza talk about oppressed nationality, people talking about the multiracial struggle, talking about why you decided to learn Spanish so that you can be a more effective organizer. I honestly think you kind of, there was a whole generation of us that went and did, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the, when you go do um, immersive Spanish um, language school in, in Central and America because of you. <laughs> I think like a bunch, you know, a bunch of black, especially black folks. I remember Damon Azali Rojas going and, but there was a bunch of us that were like, yes, we want to be like you. We want to, we want to learn. We want to stay being students. Um, and uh, I just, how lucky, how lucky I am and we are um, because of the contributions you made and you continue to make. So thank you. Well, that's the voice of Patrice Collars who worked with us for more than 10 years and went off <laughs> to do phenomenal work around the defending the rights of prisoners in the jails. Obviously, he was one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, is now doing phenomenal 
political and cultural work and Patrice will will keep going and Kikanza, you know, you're going to keep going too, honey. Ashe. Love you, team. Bye. I'll give you a sense of the sentiment of the people who work at the Biltmore Hotel downtown. Aproximadamente mil trabajadores. It's approximately a thousand workers who work there. La mayoría de ellos pertenecientes a Local 11. The majority of them are members of Local 11. El 80% de los trabajadores usa el autobús. 80% of those workers use the bus. So everybody listen. Um, this is Eric Mann again. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. You know this is tribute to, and yes, a fundraiser for our friend, Kikanza mm-hmm. Ramsey. You are not being asked to contribute under KPFK rules. You are being encouraged to be aware of the choice to contribute. So if you go on freefunder.com, it'll say help Kikanza beat cancer. If you want to help, please do so and write in the notes that you're a KPFK listener because we're going to be looking at the site. And we do want to know if the listeners from Voices from the Front Lines are going to turn out for the people that we care about. So our next friend is Martin Hernandez, who is one of actually the early, early organizers with Lisa Duran and with Chris Mathis and with, and with oh yeah, Kikanza Ramsey. And we used to go out to <laughs> Wilmington, I remember, and almost choked to death when we went door to door. Martin's still on our board of directors, and he's been a, just he's part of the strategy center for 30 years. So, Martin, talk to Kikanza and tell us some interesting stories. Hey, Kikanza, how are you? How are you? Um, I remember us, um, oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I remember getting hired part-time with the Strategy Center in 92, it must have been 92, 93, yeah, somewhere yeah, along yeah. those lines. And I remember us walking those mean streets of Wilmington, uh, knocking on doors and at least uh i remember our office there um remember us knocking on doors and talking to people about the effects of the refineries on their on their health and then from the mean streets of uh, wilmington we are we organized on the mean buses of la you know those rough tough and dangerous buses back in la that's what they call the rtd with the that was a nickname for the rtd before it became the metro mta I uh, just recently, on two occasions, I saw the screening of the film, the Bus Riders Union documentary uh, at the Strategy Center a few months back. And then I saw uh, another uh, another screening. I reconnected with one of our other organizers, um, Russell Miranda, who was screening it for the group she's working with. And, uh, of course, the first face they see of, of, uh, of the Bus Riders Union is Kikansa, sitting there talking about how folks on the bus and you know after they after we saw the movie we had a discussion and you know i laid out stuff and one of the things i i noted was you see the folks you see that what what the organization was about we were multi-racial we were multi-ethnic we were multi-generational multi-gender and we were able to win a lot of stuff and hopefully that message came across because they saw us in action you know you getting arrested and uh and your dad, Patrick, getting busted down in the Wilshire and Western. So many different things that we're planning the 
the fun stuff, the critical stuff, the, the, the serious stuff, the dangerous stuff back in the day. And you were always there on the front lines taking care of business and serious and funny and just wonderful, wonderful work that you did. Serious, funny, and wonderful. Pretty good summary. And again, it's funny, Patrice talked about that too. About, oh, yeah? About, well, about Kikanza as a black woman who spoke mm-hmm. not just fluent, as you know, but emotive, linguistically brilliant. You know, she could talk to the people in their own dialects. And she did a lot. <laughs> she did a lot for black. You did a lot mm-hmm. for black Latino unity, and you turn a lot of heads. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Martin, I'll tell you that when you were to Strategy Center, and we had a, we had a consent decree against the MTA, and we had to get all these people to do depositions to prove that right. they were um, discriminated against on the bus. But it was rather complicated. They had to come in, and they would dictate their statement. Then we would type it up. They have to come back. Mm-hmm. Well, in organizing, getting somebody to come back, and yet 90% of them came back, and you were in charge of that work. Mm-hmm. And you delivered to Connie Rice and to Bill Landley like over 100 signed declarations from bus riders. So thanks for the work you did as well. Thank you. I'm all, no, happy to do it. And do it again. Yeah. All right. That was our brother, Martina Hernandez. So now, Kikanza, you know, I'm bringing in the all-star team. So here's Leanne Hurst, man, your old friend. And Leanne, you were the editor of our great magazine, Aura Now. And Kikanza and I worked together on this article we're very proud of called The Left Choice is the Best Choice. And you had some very high, nice things to say about it. But tell us what it was like being our editor. Hi, Kikanza. I'm thrilled to get a chance to reminisce a little bit about our early days, and I'm loving you very much at this moment. Um, First, I just want to say what a sparkling spirit you are reaching across the radio waves right now and hopefully receiving all the love that you're getting from everybody across, across the Radio land. Um, Eric was remembering, especially about when I was working with Aura Now and first launching that publication. And I remember that you were by my side and a very important model for me of the kind of voice that we wanted to bring out on this Voices from the Frontline publication. We were really looking to try to find a new audience, an audience that was independent from the labor bureaucracy and independent from the Democratic Party. And the idea was to give a challenge to liberals and say, you know, we can fight for labor, we can build community organizations, organizing the unorganized and um, building new coalitions of people who are eager to be part of this movement. Anyway, your spirit was so great. Your voice and your organizing always provided an engine for the things we wanted to say. And I was particularly tickled to see you and Eric working together um, 
both of you separately such talents and mixing it up together to produce a voice that not only could we hear over loudspeakers, but we could read it through the, the words on the page of our now. So I just thank you very much for everything that you gave to my life at that time. And we're still going. We're still writing. I'd love to capture your voice again if we can create such an opportunity. Well, that's great, you know, Leanne, and I was looking at, you know, uh, I was looking at the actual left choice as the best choice, right? And, you know, the things you force us to say, well, you know, what's the best political line of March, which I just discussed a lot in the show. So it says, four strategic components drives the center's organizing work. First, we develop a clear political line of action that delineates primary targets and allies in the organizing process. Our analysis of the US as an empire, the structural primacy of conquered and racism, conquest and racism in US culture, and the fundamentally undemocratic nature of capitalist democracy are critical building blocks of our longer-term strategy. We're working to unite many social classes and proponents of different worldviews into an alliance to challenge the domination of transnational capitalism. So that's just the first one. But, All right, but that's, you got it. <laughs> so that's the stuff, you know, you, you were a great editor, Leanne, because Kikanzi was very sharp and I'm very sharp, but an editor is the one that puts you all together and said, what's the main point you're trying to make? So Kikanza, Leanne sends her love, I send my love, and let's do another article together when you're feeling better. Thanks, Leanne. Love you so much, Key. So I'm going to end with reading from some Kikanza's writing, and it goes again back to Leanne Hurst's great editing and the role of an editor. We have to, those who choose, go on freefunder.com if you want to help and look at Help Kikanza Beat Cancer. This show is kind of pretty consistent what the Strategy Center does, you know. But a particular thing that Leanne did and I've done is to teach people that you have to write that the writing is when you can get clearer. So I wanted to read something great, that especially because of the debate today about youth organizing, that Kanza wrote called Presentation Given at the Liberty Hill Environmental Justice Institute, September 2002. Now she's only been there three years. Statement by Kanza Ramsey reflecting on her experience at the first National People of Color Leadership Summit. So I want to read some really good stuff. Because, you know, I'm telling you about Kikanza. She wants to split political lines. Some of the things I want to touch on this conversation have to do with a debate and polemic. A polemic means, again, a debate between two different conflicting positions that exist in the environmental justice and social justice movement. Is the debate around youth organizing, youth participation, and youth organization. It's true that Mia Yoshitana, the other young person working on the principles environmental justice with me, and I 
but brought into the language drafting process as youth representatives, parenthesis, the famous statement of the Environmental Justice Leadership Summit, Kikanza played a major role in drafting the statement, which is pretty amazing. At the summer, there was a gathering of youth caucuses that was raising all kinds of questions from the plenary floor. Where are the youth? What are the pressing youth questions of the day? Where are the youth voices and so forth? Quite frankly, the position of the youth caucus was not the place that I wanted to participate. At the time, I didn't have a theoretical or analytical understanding of why I was developing that position. But I knew when I sat in the so-called youth caucus, I felt oftentimes that the conversations that are happening there were not conversations around the central contradictions that I thought existed and were most pressing for oppressed people. That youth-first trend of thought I witnessed during the first summit is still present today, particularly around a couple of questions. One, is the youth central category of oppression? Two, is youth the central contradiction within the system? This is the voice of Kikansa Ramsey. Still today, there's a view that sells the main target as older people. And even within the movement at times, young people see the main enemy and the main rub as being with the elders in the movement. Some of the main solutions put forward in this view are bringing youth to the table, moving older people out to put the new generation in, allowing youth to lead their own work, building youth-only organizations and campaigns. I have to say, the level of anti-intellectualism that existed at the time of the first summit was not all appealing to me, because youth were being seen as the main category of oppression, and therefore the appropriate solution and response is that anything a young person says is not only legitimate, but correct, and it should not be struggled with and should not be challenged. This leads us, as young people, not being pushed to evolve intellectually, politically, theoretically, and analytically. I began to formulate and understand that for me, the main categories of oppression were being black, being a woman, growing up on welfare, and being poor. I wasn't going to be a youth for the rest of my life, and it wasn't the core around which I wanted to locate the motor for my political development and my outrage, therefore my strategic thinking. As a black woman growing up poor, who happened to be 21 at the time, and this is the voice of Kikanza Ramsey, who was 21, I didn't see the central contradiction being the elders in my life, whether or not they were political, let alone the elders in the movement. To me, the central contradiction was corporate capitalism and U.S. imperialism, and I was interested in the conversations and strategy around how, as youth, we could participate in a multi-generational movement that would be able to build itself formidable against that enemy as the target, not conversations about how quickly we can move over the elders so we in youth could occupy the role of the central leaders as the future generation. I really understood that I was in a process of training, development, and mentorship in order to be effective, truly effective, against the targets that needed to direct my energies at back at Los Angeles. I was going to have to learn a lot from people who had been in the movement 10, 20, 30 years. People who have dedicated their lives struggling with the central questions facing the movement. 
changing their minds, developing new theories, working on current theories, and so forth. And of course, she's referring to me a lot, which means a lot, but she's talking about other people at the Strategy Center, the value of adults. And that isn't abdicating my own intellect or letting go of my own thinking process and ability to understand or to speak up, but truly in an honest and humble way, understanding that I was in a process of training and that process was central to developing my capacity to be an effective organizer, an effective institution building, and to really affect policy change, which is what my goals were. Now, Kikanza, in reading this, reading your words, I'm damn impressed. I forgot, I knew you were great, but it's better. Again, the clarity of your formulations, and you were trained by me and Leanne in particular, about what's the central contradiction? What's the contradiction, meaning what is the problem? Which you resolved will move over the, all the other contradictions, which is also the central enemy. You're saying the central enemy for young black people is U.S. imperialism. Others saying, frankly, the central enemy is older people and their own organization. This isn't just hypothetical. Large numbers of organizations have fallen apart over intergenerational fights that were absolutely insane and destructive. I'll end by saying this, that the Strategy Center is very excited that we've just made another transition where Channing and I are now the co-directors of the Strategy Center. I'm not the old guy and he's not the young guy. We are two co-directors focusing on, he's the black person, I'm the white guy, but not based on age. We also have Akuna Uka and Barbara Lathan, two black women, who are very central to the leadership. And again, it's not at all about age. It's about political consciousness and development. So we're going to put up all of Kikansa's articles because they're so relevant today. I end by saying go to freefunder.com. Help Kikanza beat cancer. Give as much money as you can, but also celebrate the work of this brilliant young woman who's now a br brilliant middle-aged woman with kids, and we want to make sure that she becomes the brilliant older woman who continues to write these great stories. I'm Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, KPFK 90.7 FM. Go to our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Go to freefunder.com, in case I haven't told you. Help Kikanza fight cancer. And really appreciate, Key. you're killing it. This is great, great stuff. I love you. I'll be in touch. And what a pleasure to read your work. Bye, everybody. All power to the people. Billions for buses. Billions for buses. Kanza from the BRU. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>